Come on, will you give him a praise? You know, since the regathering, you know, we've had to do things a little bit different. One of them, one of the major changes is the opportunity to lay hands on the sick and pray uh, for their recovery, to believe in a miracle. And so we've had to do that just a little bit different. And last week we stopped and like we're going to do right now, we're going to make room for God to do a miracle. We have people in our church that need a miracle. You know, amen. You know, Tiny Dickerson, uh, you know, young lady that's been battling cancer for a number of years. And, and uh, we think we have that breakthrough and then cancer reoccurs. And we're just going to pray that today she's just going to get healed. And that's going to be it. And it's going to be over. Um, and she's going to live uh, a long, healthy life sharing the glory of God. You know, we've got a, a guest with us this morning. I think he's about 11. Uh, he's had several surgeries to... Uh, try to correct some things on his heart. And uh, we actually are going to pray for this cloth. They live out of town, and I wanted a reminder uh, that we prayed for a miracle right now for him to be healed. And I got a, a word today that uh, one of the members of our church, her mother was diagnosed with COVID. And uh, of course, she's worried, and I told her we would pray. So would you join me in these prayers for the miracles? And, and you may need a miracle right where you are. And let's just believe that God's going to do it right now. You know, that it doesn't have to wait to the end of a service, that he could just do it right now. And those of you on, online watching today, will you join us in prayer for these miracles in the house and maybe the miracle that's needed in your living room? Let's pray. Father, right now, I thank you. I thank you that we have a God that is greater than cancer. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we declare Tiny Dickerson's healing right now. Once and for all, we're just going to believe that her body is going to be free from cancer from this day forward. And Father, for Grayson, and you know, Father, you have used doctors and nurses, and we're thankful for all of the, the, the benefits that have come through those surgeries. But Father, we're also praying right now for you just to heal whatever is left to heal, and, and you just to, to make a brand new heart, and it's just going to be perfect, and we're just going to believe right now that that miracle, Father, there's nothing... Uh, supernatural about the cloth that I have in my hand. But Father, there is something about that is supernatural about the God in which we prayed over this cloth and just said, you know, God, we want this to be a reminder as he smells the oil, as he grows up, that he remembers the day that a church prayed and he was healed. Father, for those suffering from COVID, you know, we have uh, a person in our own church that their mother has COVID and we're praying right now for their rapid recovery. And Father, we uh, pray for our city and, and our state and our nation. Father, we celebrated freedom yesterday, but Father, freedom only really truly comes through you. And so Father, today we thank you for the freedom that we've experienced. And Father, we ask you in your name, whatever miracle is needed in this house that we haven't made mention of or whatever miracle is needed in the living room of the people that are joining us online, we say, let it be right now. Let it happen right now in Jesus' name. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, can we put our hands together and say thank you to God like we believe he answers our prayers, amen. You can be seated. They're gonna grab me a table here in just a second. And while we're doing this, I wanna kinda just 
uh, take some time. I don't, I, I, I did a pretty good job on time on preaching this morning. We're starting a new series called Draw a Line in the Sand. So, you know, you can't touch your neighbor, but you can sure shout at them. So look at the person next to you and say, uh, draw a line in the sand. And that, we're going to do that by studying the book of Daniel. But before I get started this morning, I'm going to just kind of bring you up to date. 18 years ago, me and Michelle started our journey as new pastors here in Southwest Florida. And um, can you imagine that this couple, they're in their early 30s, they don't know a single person hardly here, and they're coming to cultural uh, shock. You know, you say, Pastor, what do you mean by culture shock? I owned an acre and a quarter in Northwest Florida with a three bedroom, two bath, brick home with uh, a fence all the way around it and a, and a building in the back that had electricity. And I paid all of $64,000 for the whole shooting match. And when we moved here, you know, Pastor Gray was trying to take us to different neighborhoods and say, well, you know, where would you like to live? And I said, oh, just, just where regular people live. And he took me to one neighborhood and I said, well, how much are the houses here? And he said, about $150,000. And I said, oh, no, 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 you've misunderstood. I'm not rich. I need to just live where everybody that's regular lives. And they said, you're here, brother. Um, so that's the kind of culture shock that I mean it just was really just Michelle was scared to death to drive um, you know we were used to driving on two-lane highways now we have I-75 and we didn't know where anything was at it was before GPS's were on your phone you had to map uh, blast everything and I know that that had to be really safe trying to read a piece of paper while you're driving um, but you know we started and one of the significant moments, and I took probably too much time in, in first service to explain this, so I'm going to try to, um, you know, move this on, along a little faster. For two years after we come here, we really struggled financially as a church. And I, I struggled with my health. I was allergic to everything, was taking shots for my allergies, and just trying to learn to live here. And... Uh, at the two-year mark, we had a, a pastor named Bill Wilson come from Metro Ministries' largest Sunday school in the world. Today, 250,000 people will gather under the banner of Jesus globally uh, that are connected to Metro Ministries and Pastor Wilson. Can we give God a, a praise offering for that? Well, I'll never forget it. And, and you know, they, he preached a message called Standing Between the Living and the Dead. And he told a story about a bus driver that went for a home visit, smelled that smell, you know, that smell where you know, man, there's something really wrong. She went and got the uh, building superintendent. And they let her in. And inside the apartment was children and their deceased parents. Their deceased parents had, had something go wrong and um, they were shot and, uh, by a perpetrator, but they allowed the children to live. And he remembers getting there and she had taken those kids up in her arms and had turned away from the tragedy. And he remembered the scripture where Aaron and Moses stood between God and judgment of the people. And it, 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 the scripture says, standing between the living and the dead. And of course, we just bless, you know, you hear, they were so, the kids were so hungry um, that they were eating the cardboard cereal box. And uh, so it was just one of those heart-wrenching moments where we just gave and just said, God, we want to be a part of blessing someone. Well, 
Um, about two months later, uh, Pastor Wilson was shot filming a commercial. They wanted to steal his camera and his watch. And um, they stuck a gun in his mouth and he realized they're going to pull the trigger because they pulled the trigger the first time and it misfired. And he said, they're going to kill me. So they, they, he ran and when they shot the second time, it went through his jaw. And uh, we had just refinanced the church and we had $25,000 of extra money we had refinanced, uh, uh, borrowed to have a kind of a safety fund. And for the first time in two years, I said, oh man, finally, we get our nose just a little bit above water. And they called us in the middle of the night, said Pastor Wilson's been shot. And anyway, we had an elders meeting and sure enough, we, we gave uh, all $25,000. And it floated the ministry for two weeks. And from that time until the time I'm standing here, it just seems like everything God wants to do sometimes, we step out by faith and then all of a sudden the resources follow. We blessed him on that occasion. We blessed him the second time when he was shot in Syria. And we gave $10,000. And we just had taken on 600 meals for uh, Thanksgiving. And sure enough, when we agreed to do the $10,000, um, by the end of that elders meeting, I walked out and Mark told me, he said, Pastor, you won't never believe it. We had a call come in and somebody paid for all 600 uh, turkeys. Well, I had a, an opportunity this week to have lunch with Pastor Wilson. And he was telling me how COVID had affected the globe. And um, I said, what's the biggest need? And he said, there's about 4,000 kids in Kenya that... Uh, are going hungry, not just COVID, but they had locusts come through and destroy all the crops. And, and he said, I literally saw a kid the other day take what little bit of rice we gave them and they ate two bites and then put it in their shirt and rolled it up to take home to the rest of their family. That's how hungry they were. And so I called our elders and our stewardship team and they responded um, like we always do with generosity. And you say, Pastor, why are you telling us this on your 18th anniversary? Because God's been faithful and he has used people like you and like me to do something significant around the world, not just here in our local city. He has allowed us to affect our city, but, uh, but the power of the gospel has gone past the boundaries of Fort Myers in Southwest Florida and literally been gone around the globe through your generosity. And I know as we continue to do church uh, online and in person, uh, your faithfulness in giving has been incredible. And for 18 years, I've been a part of that adventure and I just wanted to say thank you. You've watched our kids grow up and you've also seen them turn into men and husbands and now fathers and we got Michelle announced we got uh, Levi Michael Thursday so would you just one more time join me in giving God an ovation of praise for all that he's allowed us to be a part of for 18 years thank you Lord amen me and Michelle sponsored three of those kids uh, that were hungry and we're going to allow you the opportunity to do that in a couple of weeks um, and I just wanted you to, to know what God has done over 18 years. Thousands of people have been saved. We've, we've had miracles happen in uh, this building and every building we've been a part of. But I'm ready to start a new series called Draw a Line in the Sand. And I just want to say thank you because uh, can you imagine 18 years ago when a new uh, pastor or this kid comes and he looks out and everybody's gone on vacation? 
As soon as we got home, I said, Shell, they hate us, and we're going to have to find a place to live because everybody's gone. They left when Pastor Tom left. Um, no, they didn't leave. They were just on vacation like many of them are today. And I made a video this week, and I asked them on vacation to please tune in today at 11 o'clock uh, because this, I really feel this uh, series is so important. It's about culture. It's about the world culture coming in conflict with the kingdom culture. And we're going to be studying the book of Daniel. So they've tuned in from all over uh, the United States, wherever their vacation took them. And so let's just give them a shout out. They, I got a message last week said, Pastor, thank you for connecting us with our church family. We just feel a little apprehensive about getting in a crowd right now. So let's just say um, happy fourth, okay? Let's do that. That way we can welcome everybody that's joining us online and I'll just get right into preaching. You ready? One two, three. Happy four. Thank you guys. Let's pray. Father, I ask for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to now be upon me as I speak your word. Father, I ask you to be a, t a teacher today. I want to I teach under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I want your truth to go forth. I want it to penetrate our hearts. I want conviction to fall in this house. I want us to find a, a new passion for who you are in our lives. And I give you the praise, the honor, and the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Daniel chapter 1. What happened before you read, let's get the background, the setting. What happened after the death of King Solomon, the nation of Israel was divided in two. We had the northern tribes, which there were ten of them, and the southern tribes, which there were two, Judah and Benjamin. And what happened in the ten northern tribes is they abandoned their faith. And when they abandoned their faith, they started worshiping idols and God raised up the Assyrians to come in and oppress the northern tribes and keep them captive as judgment for idolatry. Now, you would have thought that the two tribes in, in the southern part of the country would have said, you know what, let's learn from their mistakes. Let's not fall prey to worshiping idols because, because God's judgment comes when we are idolatrous. And so you would have thought not only did God show them what would happen if they turned to idols, but he raised up people like Zephaniah, Habakkuk, and Jeremiah that literally as the prophets of God said, do not turn Turn to idolatry, but they did. These two tribes of Benjamin and Judah started worshiping idols, and God raised up the Babylonians. And the Babylonians come and they attacked the southern tribes and they took articles from the temple and they, uh, they besieged Jerusalem and now they were now walking out back to Babylonian as a victorious army and they had gathered the young adults, those children and young adults from about the age of 10 to 12 to about 20. And they were taking them hostage and putting them into captivity for two purposes. One, there were survivors after the battle in Jerusalem and they wanted them to know that they had their children and if they wanted to have an uprising that they were going to kill their kids. So they were kind of hostages. And inside of this group of captives and hostages were four young men that we're going to study about their lives. One of them's name is Daniel. And you know the others as the three that went into the fiery furnace. Now, what are their names? 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The problem is, is that you said Daniel, which is a Jewish name, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are Babylonian names. And I'm going to tell you what's significant about that is that when they were taken into captivity, these young men, when they saw Babylon, you want to talk about culture shock? They had a maniac for a king named Nebuchadnezzar. The walls of the city were 15 feet thick and unbelievably high. They had the most powerful dominant army in the world. These kids look around and say, we have no soldiers among us. We are just kids. We're teenagers. We're bound by the most powerful army on earth. We're in a city that has walls 15 foot thick. We are in a hopeless situation. And you know what? They were right. Wait a minute, pastor. What did they do? You know, many in hopeless moments, they get anxious and they start to fall apart because even in this moment where they feel it's absolutely hopeless for them to be rescued, they didn't fall apart because they had faith in a God that was their strength, their foundation, and their life. And they said, even in this hopeless situation, we are going to stay faithful to our God because He's the only thing that is unchangeable. And that's why in these moments like we living in, or we're living in right now, a world with pandemics, We've got chaos. We've got, you know, just, just stuff. There's all kinds of prophecies about November and all of that. And I'm not discrediting those things. I'm just telling you, hey, wait a minute. Before you get so nervous that you start having anxiety attacks, stop for a moment and let's rest in the, in the, in the power of God's true word that says in the book of Jude that God was faithful to start a work and he's faithful to complete the work. So your, so your identity, your struggle, every Everything about the uncertainty of the future doesn't rest in November on what candidate gets elected. It is about that we have a hope in Jesus and our Lord is in control of everything. If he can control a crazy king named Nebuchadnezzar, certainly he can take care of us today. Can somebody say amen? I've had people this week say, Pastor, are we living in the end times? I said, I don't know. I kind of try to live my life like we're always living in the end times. I'm ready. You say, Pastor, aren't you worried? What about the mark of the beast, the Antichrist? Man, I'm, you're focusing on the wrong side of the Bible. It says, in the last days I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams and see visions. Come on now. That's what I'm wanting to be a part of, this outpouring of God's grace and mercy and the power of revival. Amen. So that's the setting for these young men. Now, I'm about to read a scripture that changes everything. See, sometimes we think that when we get a name change, it doesn't matter. Listen to what happened when these kids got to Babylon. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. 
On the surface, it doesn't look like there's much that, you know, they're just giving them new names, Pastor. They're just kind of calling them something different. Can't you just go with the flow a little bit? Why you always got to preach about the details of the Bible? The details matter. See, in the Jewish culture, a name meant something. It was connected foundationally to your identity. And so for somebody to all of a sudden rename you, but the sinister plan of the enemy looks a lot like the culture of today when we are trying to allow other things, the media, we're allowing culture, popular culture, we're allowing feelings to identify us. It brings us to a place where popular culture and kingdom culture are confronting one another. And how do we choose to live? You say, Pastor, well, give us a little more detail. Daniel, they just call him Belshazzar. Yeah, Daniel means... God is my judge. His Hebrew name meant God is such a righteous judge that I stand as a man in accountability to my heavenly father. That I stand there and I'm motivated to be obedient to him because he is a righteous judge and he has taken account of all of the things that I do. Not to put me under the microscope to condemn me but to reward me as a righteous judge for, for sharing his glory. Belshazzar. Does anybody know what it means? It means lady protect the king. Oh, wait a minute. We've got a 15-year-old young man that left Israel as a man, but now Babylon's calling him a, him a woman. He has gone from a man that stood in accountability to his heavenly father to a woman that is so frail that she better protect her king because he will protect her. He, she, he no longer has the protection of... Uh, they want him to believe that he no longer has the protection of an almighty God, that the only way you're safe is your king, your man king. Exchange your man king for uh, your God. Man, that's tough. There's a lot of stuff I can preach there. A lot of social issues like gender identity and gender confusion that we can deal with right now. And I'm going to do my best just to step in that, those troubled waters. Let's just do this thing. Let's just get this thing done, you know. Because the church has failed in the position of gender identity because we, we failed to recognize the, the, the battle that was going on in people's hearts and in their minds. And we dismissed it as just a ploy from the enemy without any aid. So let's get some aid. Let's find out. Let's, let's, let's do a little experiment. Let's take, you know, for those of you on the internet that about to say, oh, pastor's going crazy. He's about to get judgmental. He's about to talk about things. Hey, I'm just going to talk about, let's just talk about truth, okay? Here it is. Let's take, this morning we used 110 because we feel like a 110-year-old had a long, prosperous life. Are we in agreement in second service that we can have somebody be 110 years old and if they pass away, they lived a long life? Amen? Amen. Now, in first service, we had this person at 110. She was a lady. I'm going to let you choose. You want, him to be, you want this character to be a man or a woman? You tell me. Woman. Okay, you're the first one up. Who said that? Right there? Okay, Miss Donna. She's a woman. We're going to call her Daisy. Daisy goes out at 110 years of age. She goes going through the woods just exploring. 
At the moment that she gets over there by the oak tree, she looks up and she sees all these little squirrels playing and she just dies. At 110 years, that was the end of her life. She just falls over dead and nobody knows about Miss Daisy because she's outlived all of her family and all of her friends. And Miss Daisy goes to heaven right there in the woods. Then let's say five years later, there's, there's these guys exploring the woods and all of a sudden they see these skeletal remains. Now, wait a minute. Before you dismiss me online, let's take out some things. Let's take out how Miss Daisy felt. Let's take out Miss Daisy's personality. Let's take out Miss Daisy's faith. Oh, wait a minute, Pastor. We can't take out her faith. Yeah, just for this experiment. Let's just take out her faith. Let's just let the bones be the bones. Okay? It doesn't matter if Miss Daisy was saved or unsaved. Miss Daisy just died in the woods and now... They've discovered her bones. You know what they do? They call the police. You know what the police do? They call this guy called a forensic anthropologist. And that forensic anthropologist goes and gathers Miss Daisy's bones up. And they take them to the laboratory and they set them out. And you know what happens? They don't care about how Miss Daisy felt. They don't care about what church Miss Daisy went to. They don't care about her personality. They don't care how she felt. They look at those bones and that forensic anthropologist does this. She was a 110-year-old woman. Died in the woods. There was no bigotry. There's no Christian judgmentalism. There was just simply the facts of the truth that her bones spoke for themselves and called her female. You say, well, pastor, man, you're really getting on this gender identity because the church failed because there is real gender identity crisis and issues. And instead of us being uh, um, graceful and saying, hey, if you're walking through that challenge of that battle, come to us, don't hide from us, and let's talk about that and let's pray about that and let's find out who God says you really are. No, we started calling people mentally ill. That's judgmental. That, that's hard. You going to go talk to somebody that thinks you're mentally ill? No. So we want you to know, if you're going through gender uh, identity issues, come to the church. We want to be the resource that talks about how God made you and what he made you to be. Because in this issue, they wanted Daniel to leave his identity as a man and become a woman. But it gets even worse. Hananiah, which means Yahweh has been gracious. They renamed him Shadrach. I am fearful of God. A shift from God being good to God being someone that should be feared and dreaded. It's a culture now saying, don't worry about God's feelings. Don't worry about him. He's the one that's mean. He's the one that's sending everybody to hell. How can I serve a God that will send somebody to hell? Well, wait a minute. My other name meant God was gracious. It means that he was so gracious that grace outweighs my sin. Where, great, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. It's a God that is going to send a Messiah that is going to rescue his people, even bound by the bondages of sin. My old name said God is gracious, but my new name now says I got to be afraid of God. I can't let him know who I really am. I'm here to dismiss that myth. God knows exactly who you are. He knows your struggle and knows what you're going through and he loves you anyway. Amen. But then it even gets worse. 
Meshel means who can compare to my God? And they call him Meshach. I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. He goes from a guy that says, who can compare to my God? There is nothing on this earth. He is incomparable. He, the, the most beautiful sunset, my God, is greater than that. The most beautiful majesty of the mountaintops, the snow-covered caps of mountains, he is greater than that. My God is incomparable to now. I am a man without a God that is incomparable. I am despised. I am contemptible, and I am humiliated. I am less than, will never be more. I am going to stay in my position position of being a, a slave to the king and I am going to stay here and march like a good soldier. I'm here to tell you the enemy will try to assassinate your identity and tell you you're always less than who God calls you to be because he doesn't want you to know that God put treasure in clay jars just like you and me that are flawed to reveal his glory to the world. Can somebody say amen? You are not contemptible. You are not humiliated. Well, pastor, you don't know what I've done. I've done some crazy stuff. I've been caught doing crazy stuff. I've paid the price for doing crazy stuff. I've got a God that can change your identity in a moment. You will not stay in a humiliated position. You are a new creation in the sight of God. And the power of salvation can liberate you and set you free. Is that not worth shouting about? Amen. Now listen to this one. Azariah means Yahweh has helped to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo, Nebo, a son or an heir of Yahweh to a slave owned by another man. These names were not intended to change the outside of them. It was to assassinate the identity that the word of God had put inside of them. It was to change everything, to make them Babylonian. They wanted to rob them of their truth. And the truth started in their identity. You say, Pastor, why does identity seem to matter to you so much today? Because the book of Proverbs says, as you think in your heart, so are you. Who you think you are, you become. Now, Chris Hodges, pastors Church of the Highlands, he's, he's a real smart guy, great, great pastor, and pastors one of the largest churches in the world. Think of yourself for a minute. I, just, I have a, a longing just to come down there and teach right in front of you. But I'm going to do best. I spit a lot, so I'm going to stay up here. <laughs> he says this. We lose our identity when we allow those observing the art to have a greater say than the one that painted the art. So think of your life as a portrait that God painted by his very hand. And you're going to allow the news, the media, and culture to tell you who you are. And you're going to listen to their voice because they are the ones observing the art saying, oh, you look like you should be this, instead of going to the one that created you and say, who am I really? He also says this, he says, well, what, what, pastor, okay, I'm, I'm getting it now, but can you drive the point home? Yeah, because your identity is connected to your purpose. How many of you want to live with purpose? Say amen. amen. See, purpose is, and his definition of purpose, it's identity in action. It's who God created you to be that you have now become and you're doing what God's called you to do because it's your identity. You say, wow, pastor, I didn't really think about that. They were trying to assassinate what was inside of them. And then, you ever notice that when the enemy comes with really trying to 
make you bend to compromise your kingdom culture and fit into the world better? You know the church is guilty of that, right? You know, let's just admit it. We've tried to be popular. We tried to be, you know, the best show in town on Sunday because nobody else is having a show in town. So we decided to be the best show in town. No, man, we got to be beacons of truth. And here's where most of the time when we meet positions of compromise, it comes with a reward. So he says, if you take on these names and you become Babylonian and abandon your heritage of being Jewish, I'll let you eat the best food in the kingdom. You can eat from the king's table. Wow. Doesn't that sound nice? I'm going to let you eat the best food in all the kingdom because that's the food the king's eating. There's two problems with the king's food. One, it was dietarily, according to Jewish dietary restrictions, it was against the Levitical law to eat some of the things the king was eating. And secondly, and most importantly, because maybe you'd say, well, it's a new day, grace will overwhelm. Yeah, but it was very specific in the Mosaic law. Do not eat food offered to idols. And everything on the king's table come from an idol's offering altar. Now, I've been hurrying through this message because I can take my time right here. I've been to a place where they worshipped an idol. I went to Thailand. I've told you about it before. It was amazing. I went to where they filmed the movie, Anna and the King, or The King and I, something like that. And I went to, and they had this big Buddha temple. And, and I went to it and I saw this big Buddha. And I know I'm going to get a lot of people that are Buddhists that are going to email me, and that's okay. We'll talk. We'll, 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 we'll exchange our faith, and, and uh, I, I'll listen to you if you listen to me. How's that? Because I'm fixing to, to rattle a cage here about idols. Because what I saw was I saw families taking their children to be baptized with these idols. And these priests of these idols would take reeds and dip it in what they called holy water and sprinkle the kids. Well, the price for that was a meal. Well, the most of the people that I saw standing in the line were poor. Now, I'm not talking about American poor. I'm talking about world poor. See, in America, if you eat once a day, you're poor. In, a wor in the world, if you eat once a week, you're poor. So they were taking the only meal they had for the week and giving it to an idol. And there's not an idol in the world that's ever taken a bite. They can't. They're not real. They're wood. They're stone. They're some precious metal. And then what really sealed it off, and this is where I'm really going to get in trouble, is I'm standing there in awe of them offering this food to an idol that cannot eat. And then it started to rain. And I saw the army that had, was assigned to that temple. Here they come. They had a big old raincoat and a big old rain hat. And they get up to the big old Buddha and they put the raincoat on him and they put the hat on him. And I thought right then, if my God can't get himself out of the rain, he probably can't get me out of my mess. Just saying. But it wasn't about the food at all. It was about what the Word of God said about the food. Now, here's where we get scary. Amy, if you, wherever you are, if she'll come and place something, pace herself. What's truth to you? 
probably the most important question I'm going to ask in this teaching. What is truth to you? And where do you get your foundation of truth? Here's what will scare you. This is what the Bible says truth is. The Bible says truth in Psalms 119, 160. The sum of your words, talking about God's words, is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. John 17 and 17 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And then Jesus himself said in John 14 and 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What the answer to the question is, is what is truth is God in every word that comes out of his mouth, both spoken and written. That's truth. Here's the thing that, you, you say, Pastor, we need revival in the world. No, we re need revival in the church, my friend. That seems to be a good preaching point. Let me just say that again. I know that most of you are requesting revival to hit the, the world and all of the chaos to stop. But no, before the chaos to stop, the people of God have to arise. And I, I went through that last week with our uh, you, you, uh, humble position of asking for repentance. And the repentance brings revival. George Barna, pretty reliable source, did a survey. And this survey he gave to Americans. And 62% of all Americans said, I am deeply, deeply spiritual. Woohoo! 62% of America thinks they're deeply, deeply spiritual. The problem is, is they're really not. How do you know, Pastor? Because he followed up with some questions of those 62%. See, every one of you has a worldview. What do I mean by worldview? Here's my definition. Everyone has a worldview, a way of seeing, filtering, and processing the events of your daily lives in the context in the world they live in. Basically, your worldview is the set of beliefs that you base your life on. It's the core convictions you consider when faced with decisions. It is the lens through which you view and assess the world at large. 62% said, I'm deeply spiritual. 31% of that 62% said this, I make all of my moral choices based on what feels right and comfortable. 32% said they, have no, they don't believe in any moral absolute. So they're saying, I don't believe in right. 32% of Christians said that I don't believe in what is right and what is wrong. I believe in something in the middle. Yeah. 31% says, I make my moral decisions based on what feels good to me. Man, that's scary. Then it goes on. Another 14% said, or another 18% says, I make moral choices based on whatever is best for me. What? This ain't the world, my friend. This is the church. This book right here, the Word of God says, love God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. It doesn't talk about loving you above everything. 
It talks you about laying down your life and doing things for others. And we are now making, as Christian believers, we are now making all of our choices about what is best for me. No, my friend, we got to get back to the truth. The culture war is winning and the culture of this world is telling you what you do first means everything. But the kingdom culture is confronting that and saying, no, love God first. You say, well, pastor, I'll miss out. Man, have you ever missed out with God? This book right here says that if I do those things for the kingdom first, all of these other things will be added unto me. Man, we are now making our decisions based upon what's best for me instead of looking to heaven and saying, God, what's best for you? What if I'd have done that 26 years ago? Young man, I'm 52, so I'm 26 years old. I'm the youngest plant manager and the fifth largest chemical distributor in the world. And God says, I'm ready for you to now serve the kingdom in your call. And my dad was going to hire me for $250 a week with no benefits to work at the church. What if I'd have made that decision back then to say, you know what? What's best for me and what feels good is I got this title, man. I'm on my way. I got a career to have. Who would be standing here today? It wouldn't be me. But a man set things aside and said, God, what you want means more to me than anything else. And I went to work for $250 a week. I'm a blessed man now. And I've had to pay a heavy price for some of those blessings. But I'm telling you, I'm well taken care of by my church. I'm loved by God's people. And I have seen signs and wonders and miracles. I've seen some of your family get saved. I've seen some of them get healed. We believe for healing right here today. I'd have missed that. Only, 14, only 16% of all Christians surveyed said I make my decisions based upon the Scripture. We've bought into a cultural war that we're losing because the enemy rewarded us through compromise. If you compromise, I'll give you the crowd. And you'll please the crowd and displease your God. But I believe that the crowd, we can have both pleasing God and the crowd because I believe in revival. I, I, I'm not trying to justify that because churches are big, they've, they've uh, compromised. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when Christians are interviewed and only 16% say that the word of God is my standard of truth, we're in trouble, my friend. It doesn't matter how many you got gathering. Well, I got 2,000 gathering. Only 16% of them, brother, are thinking this is real. But Daniel stood up and said, no, I'm not going to eat from the king's table. I'm just not going to do it. Listen to what happens when he stands up for 
truth. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned you your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. This, I, I like this guy in Daniel. I, this is one of the Babylonians I really like because he's telling Daniel, man, I like you and I don't, want, I don't want to make you do this, but if you look sickly or frail, king's going to cut my head off. You're not just the only one in danger. I am. Listen to what Daniel says. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I like when God just calls you by your real name. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables and eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youth who ate at the king's table food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the, ten, at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in the flesh than all of the other youths who ate at the king's food. So, they, so the steward took away their food and their wine and that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And as for these for use, God gave them learning and skill and literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding and all visions and dreams and at the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought in before, uh, before Nebuchadnezzar and the king spoke with them and among all of them none was found like Dana, Daniel Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, therefore they stood before the king and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in all of the kingdom. You say, well, Pastor, what are you saying? When we stand up to the truth of God's word and we stand for it, see, God just doesn't want you saved. He wants you to be a leader, an influencer. He wants you to bring his glory to the earth. It's not enough to let the world fall apart and go to hell in a handbasket. He wants you to stand up as the people of faith, believing the word of God and be willing to say, let's have faith. Let's just do what God's word says and let's see what happens. And they were smarter, wiser, and they were put in positions of governors and leadership in a foreign land in Babylon. Not to make them more Babylonian, but they were going with the truth of their real identity, the people of God, to the positions of leadership to lead with a godly example. Now, Amy's going to play something for us, and we're going to worship together. <coughs> in two weeks, I, I think three weeks, we're going to sing a song by Torrin Wells. It's called When We Pray. I watched the video. I was in here the other day. I like Torrin Wells. I was getting my Torrin Wells on. I was pretending I was Torrin Wells. And I was singing. He's real high. He's got that, that uh, falsetto. And I was, and there wasn't nobody here. So me and Jesus were hearing my falsetto. And I was just giving it trouble, man. But I was watching the video on my phone. And the video is set in, a, in an old church, a historic church in some city. And they brought these cool lights and they shot like holographics, holographics on the building. And the video started with a statement. And I'm going to ask you this statement. This is what it said. If God answers your prayers you prayed this week, 
would it change anybody's world but yours? Man, I don't want to waste the time to just pray for my needs. Because your needs are just as important. But what if the church quit praying for me to be blessed and started praying for the things we're seeing as the cultures collide? And we draw a line in the sand and we start praying for things like peace and justice and liberty for all. What if, what if we just started praying and say, God, I want healing for those that are sick. This, this pandemic, let's just pray for, for a supernatural move. You say, well, pastor, science says we got to go through this 14 days of that. Hey, man, I'm not trying. I'm not one of those crazy people that said, let's just do away with science. Let's just let science be amazed at how powerful our God can be. Amen. When we start to pray, when we start to say, God, you know, there's struggles in my town. There's struggles in my church. There's struggles in my world. Will you come and move upon the hearts of your people? Let us see what you see, hear what you hear. Let us do what you would do. If God answered your prayer this week, would it change anybody's world but your own? So 
Father, all we are is yours. We want to, to be a people that is not harsh. Father, for every one of my brothers and sisters, they're struggling with that battle of identity. Father, help us make up for where we've, where, where we've fallen short with grace and compassion that we provide opportunities to pray together and speak together without judgmental attitudes, that we can search out scripture, not based upon, not just the good people looking at the art, trying to identify the art, but Father, let's just go to the artist. Say, what did you create us to be? How can I live my life power of your word securing me, not hindering me. It's not keeping me from fun. It's protecting me. It's allowing me to be the man of character, the woman of character that you've called us to be. Father, so many times scripture has been misused and it's become a hammer. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't speak the truth in love. But sometimes, Father, I think that we should just walk like you did. Right into the fellowship of sinners and say, you know what, there's a better way. And to allow the power of the truth of the gospel, not just to be words that we speak, but actually followed by the actions we do. And they see the example of Christ in us. They see an undeniable, unconditional love that brings to repentance, that allows us to stand up for truth and say, I'm going to live my life not identified by what's popular or what people want to say about me, but I'm going to live just like Daniel. I'm going to draw a line in the sand and say, you know what? If it goes contrary to the word of God, I'm just going to choose not to participate. That allow me to at least stand for something have convictions so father let us live out the whole word let us make you famous father let's build your kingdom not our own father let's start by addressing the cultural wars and let the enemy know that we're on to his tactics and we're not going to eat the food from the king's table any longer we're going to stand up for our principles and our truth our God is truth in every word that comes out of his mouth, both written and spoken. And I give you the praise, honor, and glory, and we exalt you above all. Father, we thank you for the miracles that have taken place during worship, both in front of the message and those that have happened after the message. Father, we thank you that when we prayed, we know that we have a God that hears us when we pray, and we're gonna believe that you are going to heal those that are broken in their body. Father, if there's someone listening to this message and they don't know you as their Lord and Savior, let the power of the Holy Spirit reveal how much you love them right now as they surrender their lives to you and start following after you as a disciple of Christ. And I give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.